Today, I want to talk about how to deal with our fears to become fearless. Andrew, our middle child, came home. He was a young kid. He was about eight, nine. And at the baseball field, he had had a very bad game. He struck out once. He struck out twice. I think he might have struck out three times that night. It was not a good night for him. He came home in tears. I worked through the feelings and emotions that he had with him, and I didn't judge him. I didn't try to tell him he shouldn't feel however. I let him feel the way he did. But I said, you know, I don't think you're as bad as your worst game. I think you're going to be okay. And on our basketball pole that we had out in our driveway, we had, you know, the little rubber uh, strands that hold a ball, and you can hit it, and it'll wrap around and unwrap and come back to you, and you can hit it again. You know about those. You've seen them, right? And so we had one of those out there, and I said, why don't you go out and work on your hand-eye coordination? You see, he was afraid that his coach wouldn't let him play anymore. He was afraid he wouldn't be good enough to stay on his team as a little kid. But the picture you see on the screen indicates he got over that game. He faced his fears and became fearless. They put him behind the plate and said, you're going to be a catcher now. And he, he, he had no, one, no time to wander around. When he was in the outfield, he'd kick dirt and stand there and doodle and doddle and count the stars. But when you're in there behind the plate and you've got the equipment on and a fastball is being wound and fired to you. And so when he went on into junior high and high school, he was able to catch. Here he is on his high school team as a catcher. And then he went to Indiana Wesleyan and, the, and the, uh, they have guys that go even to the major leagues from their, their uh, campus there out of their baseball program. He was not a superstar, he would tell you, but the coach there said, our roster is full right now, but if you want to come along, we'll let you be a bullpen catcher, and then we'll work you in and see how it goes. And so he was able to move beyond that moment of fear. I just have a belief today that if I were to give you this microphone and you were to tell your story, that you would talk about through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace that brought me safe this far, and it's grace going to lead me home. Can I get a witness in this house today? <clears throat> I think of the Millers sitting right here. When their daughter had the accident, a deer out of nowhere jumps, and she crashes into that deer. The deer crashes into the car, comes in, and she's injured very badly. She made the most of it. And a wonderful example of resiliency. Just a great example to us. And how she would come in and volunteer and help some of the students that needed help, even here at this church. And how she let her light shine bright into the community anyway. They could say through many dangers, toils, and snares, but this week, 54-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations to you. And the list goes on around this congregation today. We join with those from the Bible that have had experiences like this. David, in the scripture that was read by Pastor Melanie a little bit ago, he's experiencing some of these types of things. And there are three questions I want to ask this passage today that when we receive those answers, I believe they can help us to move from fear to fear less. Everybody say that together. Fear to fear less. That's what we want to do. The first question that we ask is, what do you know about God? What do you know about God? Verses 1 through 6 here. Look at verse 1. 
David says, the Lord is my light and he is my salvation. And when you read that, you think about lamp to our feet, light to our path. But he's saying he is our light. It's really saying he is our well-being. He gives us the well-being on this beautiful sunny morning. He gives us strength. And then he is our salvation. It means that he rescues us whenever we were in a situation that could have taken us under. And then he says, the Lord is my safe refuge. Verse 2 of our passage here, we would understand that he's talking about being eaten in his flesh. The wild animals as he is out in the wilderness could take him over. And then in Psalm 14 and 4, it talks as if our, our enemies would, would come over us and they would overshadow us and they would empower us and they would eat us just like a piece of bread. How many of you like toast? Lift your hand if you do. You just eat that piece of toast and mow that piece of toast. The best way to have toast is when it comes out burnt off the toaster <laughs> and to put a bunch of butter on it, amen, and put a bunch of peanut butter on top of that and just a cholesterol delight and then put some kind of jelly right over the top of that and then have some warm hot chocolate, split that toast in half and dip that thing and eat that thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, I feel like I am just a piece of toast out here. Have you ever felt like a piece of toast? Sitting over when the doctor says to you, you have, you need, oh boy. Or have you ever sat there in an HR department and they looked at you and said, we're company's downsizing and your number came up, I'm sorry. This is no fun. David in these verses 4 through 6 now, he begins to talk about the unfailing benevolence of God and how God has been there. And David wanted the presence of the Lord to be with him while he's in his desolate moment. And so he describes and uses several descriptors to tell us how he faces these moments. He wants to do what the old timers used to say, practice the presence of God. How do you practice the presence of God? Here's how David did it. He said, if I go into the Lord's house, look at that, or if I go into your temple, or if I go into your pavilion, or if I go into the tabernacle, or if I'm on a high rock that you have provided for me. In other words, wherever I go, I am a worshiper. God, I am a worshiper when I'm in the doctor's office, when I'm in the HR department, whenever I'm driving my car, whenever I'm on my lawnmower, when I'm at the grocery God, I'm, I am yours. I am here, and I am a worshiper of yours. In the day of trouble, verse 5 says, you will keep me safe. The message puts Psalm 17 in verse 8 this way. Keep your eye on me and hide me under your cool feathers. That's a great imagery that we can pick up of God, that he would do that. And then notice verse 6, David says, when trouble would surround me. In other words, I look this way, I look this way, I look that, I look above, I look below, I look behind. I can't find any kind of out. I'm in this concrete tomb, if you will. There is no way out of this situation when I am out. He says, you are the lifter of my head. You know, when it talks about the lily of the valley, lilies of the valley grow about this tall. So if your head is down, you're going to see them. You're the lily of the valley. In other words, you remind me of my promises. You remind me of all of those things I need to know. You remind me how you brought me through before. Can I get a witness somewhere in the house? Oh, my stars, friends, when God brings us through, we remember those things. And then here he says, you're the lifter of my head. For thou, Lord, are a shield for me. Choir members, you remember this, the glory and the lifter of my head. What does it mean? It means he lifts my head and says, there's triumph ahead. 
I don't bow my head down and say, I can't make it. I'm not going to make it. There's no way to make it here. I might as well eat worms and join Popeye. No, I am going to lift my head. How am I lifting my head? Through the strength that God gives to me. Camille Caraglou was a pastor. And as he was pastoring in Turkey, he was a Christian follower of Jesus, dedicated to the faith. And some fellows who were Muslim came in and attacked him and beat him brutally. He lost consciousness twice. They said, renounce the name of the Lord. Renounce Jesus. But he said, I will never renounce Jesus. I cannot renounce Jesus. I won't renounce Jesus. One pulled out a large sword ready to kill him. He said, I will not. And they had beaten him so badly They're trying to get him to deny Christ. He survived that brutal attack. And here's what he said after. I'm praising God, not because he saved me from death. Listen to this. But because he helped me not to deny Christ in the shadow of death. You are the lifter of my head. I want to ask you today, what do you know about your God? What do you know about your God? You see, if you know your God, you can go in a college room with confidence. If you know your God... You can face the adversities that come along. Now, I'm going to confess something to you that I didn't say along the way, but I will tell you now. <clears throat> I was quite nervous when we went to the drive-in to have our services because there were all kinds of stories and rumors going around the nation, and I had to just shut off whatever was happening, and I had to say, I'm doing the best I can. And I remember leaders before in the Bible who in times and unfortunate times face them. I thought of guys like Winston Churchill even in our own historical lifetime, if you will, and thought about people like Martin Luther King Jr. who went against the odds and said, we shall overcome anyway. And when it came time to go up on that trailer for the first time, something some of you didn't know, but as we were gaining notoriety and attention, because news outlets from around the nation were calling and wanting stories. And as this was happening, we had a day whenever there was somebody out here taking pictures while I was up on the stage doing my ministry to you. And they were trying to get us shut down. And I said to the team, Let me go up on the stage first. If anybody's going to do anything crazy, they'll do it to me. I didn't know who was in the cars. All I could see was windshields and glares from the sky. I didn't know who was sitting there. But I said, God, I know you. And I come up here as your ambassador. I felt the Holy Spirit in an unusual way. And he anointed me every time I stood up there. And I thank him for his presence. Our God is real. If you don't know God, you're going to fold and cave in seasons of adversity. But if you know who your God is, you'll be able to withstand the wiles of the devil because our God can help you overcome, and he can help you overcome what's happening now. And then the question is, what do you need from God? Verses 7 through 13 take us in our second question. What do you need from God right now? I don't know what you need from God. I don't know what you need from him. 
David says in verse 7, he said, I need you to hear me and I need you to have mercy on me. And as we were singing some of the songs this morning, I was just thinking of all the study I've been involved in this week in this message and in the passage and the original understanding of the passage and trying to give the clearest understanding to you today. And I was thinking, man alive, these songs are expressing what David is saying. He's absolutely saying, God, everything seemed to be against me, but I know that you can help me and strengthen me in this moment here. In verses 8 and 9, he needed God's face to be toward him. You know, a lot of times in the Scripture it would say that God's face is, is, is turned away from them or something. He maybe would be turned in anger. And you remember when Jesus is on the cross, the Father turns away from him because he can't stand to see the sins that he has laid on him, the iniquities of us all, Isaiah says in 53. And God can't stand, so he turns away. David says, no, I don't want you to turn your head from me. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. Have you ever said to your parent, I don't want you reading the paper. I don't want you looking at the computer. I want you to look at me. My granddaughter was over one day, and she, she said to me, she said, no, Pop Pop, I don't want to look at your phone. I want you to look at me. She didn't want screen time. She wanted Pop Pop time. David says, God, I want God time. Have you ever been like that? I have. Hey, it's me. It's me. Hello. I need you. I need you. I want you. He sought the presence of God. That's what this means. He sought the counsel of God. He sought the blessings from God. Hallelujah. David is saying here, I know when I get in your presence. And then verse 10, look at that. David needed the Lord to receive him. And Eugene Peterson writes it this way in verse 10. He says, even if my father and mother should desert me. And some among us may have had that happen, even though father and mother may desert me. You will take care of me. God has no stepchildren. You're his child. He loves you. He has brought you into the family, and you're his, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Chuck Swindoll tells in one of his messages about a about a fellow who had come to faith in Jesus Christ from another religion, his family disowned him to the extent they had a funeral service for him. And they never mentioned him again. But this verse became a hallmark verse for him. And then look at verse 11 and 12 of our passage here. David needed to clearly understand God's way for him. In Psalm chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make plain your way for me to follow. Make it plain for me to follow me. Psalm 143 and 10 puts it this way. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. My mother taught me to pray a long time ago. Kevin, pray that the Lord will lead you in a plain path so you will have the understanding you need in the moment. I like that. I've lived off that. Lead me in a way I can understand. She also knew I was very simple. So I needed to have that kind of instruction. Verse 13, he says, God, I want to see the goodness in the land of the living. Well, we're living here and they're living in heaven. So what do you think he meant? He says, I want to see you do something now in this land where I am living. In my lifetime. In our lifetime. God, I want to see you do something. I want to see you stand tall in this moment. I want to see you show up. I want to see you do something extraordinary. You get the credit. God, that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for you to show up 
in the land of the living and do something great in this place. Oh man, isn't it neat whenever God shows up in the land of the living? Man, he showed up here. Bill Jones drove that tractor and spun that sucker around and brought it down out there about mid-court, laid that scoop down in and pulled that up. I said, man, we're getting to see what the generation before prayed about. We're getting to see something happen that they, the older gents of the church took me up on the hill one day and talked to me about as the moon was coming up. We have seen it in the land of the living. Not another generation, but this generation to be able to see the Lord. And wouldn't it be great if America received a revival in our lifetime, in the land of the living, to where many people came to faith in Jesus. I would love to see that. He's lifted up. Why not us? Why not now? Our need is great, just as great as it's ever been. Chuck Swindoll said he was preaching a message one time, and he said there was a fellow that came in. And later the guy said, you know what? My circumstances were so bad I had tried to commit suicide. And he said I was unsuccessful. And he said, tonight I came to church and I heard the message. And he says, as I heard the message... My circumstances haven't changed in two years. But he says, now I have hope. And he wrote this. Now I can hold on for he, God, has pitched a tent over me, protected me from the blast. What do you know about God? What do you need from God? And then I ask you one last question. Will you place your hope in God? Look at verse 14. The scripture says to us in verse 14, it says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. If you're good at waiting, now don't lift your hands. I know you've been through tribulation trial because tribulation works patience. But you know what wait means? Hope. Trust. Hope in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. You notice something very interesting. He starts his verse out, hope in the Lord, and then he gives us the instruction, be strong and take heart, wait on the Lord. Have you ever had a hamburger with a bun on the top and a bun underneath? If you have, say yes. All right, here you go. The bun on the top says, hope hope for the Lord. The bun on the bottom says, hope I say for the Lord, hope on Him, and in the middle what you're talking about, the sandwich, the meat of it, be strong, take heart. There you go. Wait on the Lord. Henry Nouwen writes in his writing, he says the waiting part is a period of learning. The longer we wait, the more we hear from Him for who we are waiting Matthew Henry says this, those who wait on the Lord have reason to be of good courage. Peterson writes it this way, stay with God, take heart, don't quit. I say it again, stay with God. The flying rudalas of Germany do a bunch of trapeze acts. Oh my goodness, the bravery, the precision, the incredible talent it takes to do what they do. It's unbelievable. But there is, a, there is a secret. There is the flyer, 
That's a person who flies through the air. Everybody say flyer. And then there is the catcher. Everybody say catcher. So we have the flyer and we have the catcher and we're up over the crowd. The catcher is hanging on, as you can see, with knees folded on a bar to take them back to where they need to go. The flyer, as you can see, is flying through the air. The flyer in this case is David saying, God, catch me, help me. And the catcher, of course, is God looking at David and saying, here I am, I'll get you. But they say there is a secret. When you are, when you are the flyer, you do not grab hold of the catcher. The catcher grabs hold of you. Your job is to be still, to do what verse 14 says, wait. And God will come along and he will grab you and lift you up in due season. You may go through some testing. You may go through some three strikeout games. You may have some things where you're hurting, where you're growing. You're growing while you're waiting on him who is coming for you. But even in your growth, God is with you. And in your growth, God has never left you. He has not forsaken you. You're hanging in midair. Be still and know that he is God. And he has you. And soon he comes as a net and he is a lifter of your head and he picks you up and he takes you to where you need to go. Can I get a witness somewhere in the house? That's good, Kev. Keep going, baby. I read a story about a mother that took her little kid to the store for some lollipops. Now, when I was a kid, I enjoyed, we called them suckers in Missouri. I don't know what you call them here, but I liked them. And you could, you could uh, grab a hold of those little suckers and, and, you know, you could get a good little handful, right? So they went into the store. The mother knew the store owner, evidently, and, said, and the store owner said to the little boy, said, you can take a handful of the lollipops. And the little boy stood there like he didn't even hear. And the owner said to him again, you can take a handful of the lollipops. And he just stood there like he was real bashful. Now, he knew how to talk, and he wasn't bashful, and his mother knew it. And then the owner reached in and grabbed a handful and handed them to the boy to take home with him. When they got outside, the mom said to the little boy, said, why did you just stand there when he told you you could have a handful of lollipops? And he said this, I knew his hand was bigger than my hand. (laughs) Wait on the Lord. Be strong. His hand's bigger than yours. He can do in a moment what you can't do in a lifetime. Let go. Fly free. Stay still. Know that God is there to catch you on the other end. And he's promised to never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Can I get a witness in the house? Now, Lord Jesus, in this moment, we give you thanks for the privilege of being together. Worshiping you, we love you. You know how to minister to every heart here, every heart watching, every soul listening today. You know exactly where we are and you know exactly how to minister, both to make yourself look good and to complete your purpose in our life. We do not command you today. We simply come to you as your children, requesting you would hear us and saying, God, you have been our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. So in our present reality, may you be strong and may we be still in Jesus' name. Let's stand together.